I mentioned this is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Those of us in the clergy circles, we know this is the first Sunday of temptation. The first Sunday of Lent always has the same story, whether it be told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and it is of Jesus' temptation in the desert. We start off Lent in really questioning who is Jesus and who is Jesus as a human and who is Jesus as God's son, and this is a story that tells us that. Since you know the story, I presume you might, um, we're going to tell the story a little bit differently. We're going to add all three voices. So I am pleased to introduce to you the Satan. And we have a lovely Jesus today. In the, Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, the story begins just immediately after baptism. Jesus meets John the Baptist in the Jordan, and he is fully immersed. He comes up, he's soaking wet, and that's when we hear a voice from the heavens say, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Right after he's baptized, he's led into the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and pray. Jesus fasted and prays for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards, he was famished. This is when the tempter came to speak to him. So, you say you're the son of God. You've been here a long time. You look hungry. How about a little bread? If you are the son of God, you can command these stones here to become loaves of bread. Go ahead. Do it. It's okay. It's just a little feast. Not a lot. You will feel better when you have a little food in your stomach. Go ahead. It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Quoting scripture, huh? Well, that's the way you want it. Stay hungry. Then the Satan took him to the holy city and placed him on the highest point of the temple so that he could see all of Jerusalem. Well, if you don't want bread, maybe there is something you do want. Assurance. Son of God, throw yourself down from this high point. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not even dash your foot against a stone. How's that for quoting scripture? Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Satan took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world and all of their splendor. How about it, Jesus? Want a little power and wealth? Look at this. This is all mine to give. I have control over it all, and I can give it to whomever I choose. I choose to give it to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Nothing fancy, just a little spiritual commitment. You can have it all. Think of all that you can do with this wealth. You would never have to worry. You could take care of millions of people. After all, that's what you want to do, right? Just bow down and worship me. Get away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the Satan shook her head and walked away for just a little time. And God's angels came and took care of Jesus. Thank you. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. God, we give you thanks for these stories of faith, these stories of Jesus and of temptation.
It reminds us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So silence the noise around us, and that in our meditation we may hear your word for us today. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. George MacDonald was a Scottish minister and writer in the late, 18, pardon me, late 19th century, known for his work about our imagination and the fantasies that we create with our imaginations. And he wrote, a genuine work of art is there not so much to convey a meaning as to awake a meaning. And for MacDonald's, stories were absolutely the work of arts that he had in mind because he believes that stories teach and not by catechism, and he argues, the best thing you can do for your fellow, next to rousing his conscience, is not to give him things to think about, but to wake up things that are in him and to make him think of things for himself. Now, one of the master storytellers and writers of all ages was Leo Tolstoy, who wrote the masters in Russian literature. And I know one of you amongst us has been posting on your Facebook page your progress through war and peace, one of his most famous, and that at page 500, rather than declare victory, just that you have another thousand pages to go. But for Tolstoy, after a life of intellectual inquiry and debating with philosophers and theologians about the merits of life, he came to believe and wrote in a journal, as soon as man applies his intelligence and only his intelligence to any object, he unfailingly destroys the object. So after years of all of the heady stuff, Tolstoy began to listen instead to the stories of the Russian peasants. He invited them into their home and he talked to them. He listened to them more correctly. And the folk tales these people shared reignited in Tolstoy a sense of his wonder about God's presence in ways beyond his knowledge and reading and far beyond his experience. And Tolstoy began to write short stories and these folk tales. So I want to share one of them with you. A couple of weeks ago, we read this actually in the women's reading group, and we'll read another one this Thursday if I pique your interest and you want to join us. The name of this folk tale is Three Simple Men. And the premise is simple. There are three men who live a contented life on a remote island, each pursuing his unique talents to, to sustain the communal life. One was very skilled at making baskets. Another one was so capable at hunting. And the third was the thinker. They didn't so much as work in their life as their daily activities they saw as the way in which they prayed and the way in which they filled out their life was prayer to God and also for one another. But they did have one simple prayer that they offered in unison, and it is this. We are three, praise to thee, have mercy on us. One day a ship teeming with pilgrims passes by the island, and two of the priests who are on it decide it's their obligation not to just lead these Christians onward to their faith, but also to ensure that these presumed heathens might come to know Christ. As the ship does a little detour, they are in such a hurry that they jump off of the boat and into the seas and arrive to the island drenched, but don't wait to dry off. They just launch into a systematic theology. They describe a liturgical framework and start to teach the Lord's Prayer because in their mind, that is the only way God will hear you. The men listen. They struggle to keep up. They try. And one of their feeble attempts is, our father, who cart to Bevan, and it just goes downhill from there. 
Frustrated though, these priests try to save the men and they taught until the sun was almost setting. And as they left, they counseled the three men to try so, quote, God will hear you. Later that evening, the captain noticed some shapes piercing the horizon. As the shapes came closer, moving over the water, finally the priests recognized these three men running across on top of the water. Once on board, the men bowed to the priests and again asked the prayer because they'd forgotten and they wanted to talk to God. Only then were the priests silent. And finally, one of them extended a hand saying, you need no instruction. Pray as you have and please pray for us. Together, the three simple men offered, we are five, praise to thee. Have mercy on us. Then they danced again over the water back to their home. You see, it's in folk tales that Tolstoy discovered in these legends from the peasants that when we become so certain and enamored with our ability to reason and know, we're tempted to forget the wonder of God's presence and we're tempted to forget the deep connection we wholeheartedly share. Now, faith traditions began as stories. Before they were written texts, the experiences were preserved in hearts and minds through stories, and they were accompanied with rituals to enact the faith. These are the sacraments that we share. They were handed down by doing them. That's the Lord's Supper. We remember by do this in remembrance of me. A baptism is what we do together. You stand, we bless the child with water. That's what we do, and that's how the stories get told. This is true of every faith tradition. And before there were gospels, there were the stories of Jesus, and there were the stories that Jesus told. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is seldom autobiographical. He never shared memories of growing up, nor did he speak of himself other than as a way to point to God. Those who were among the original disciple crowd had heard his Sermon on the Mount and his other teachings, they witnessed his resurrection and they learned of Jesus' divinity and his humanity firsthand. So it was the gospel writers who created this temptation story and they created it just for us. The story is nestled just after the baptism in which God calls Jesus my son and the beloved. And that's when then the tempter invites Jesus to turn away all of what God offers in three ways that strike to the heart of being a human. In the first, Jesus is asked to prove his sonship through a display of power with the challenge of, if you are the son of God, that is, if Jesus can turn the stones into bread, he will establish his validity and worth through his own abilities, through his own means. We fall prey to that temptation to think that our business cards identify our worth through what we have done rather than through what God has done in creating us. In a community of high achievers, this list could be so very long, and in all communities, it sometimes includes the notion that we achieve our salvation through what we do, and not through what God does. In the second, the temptation is to test God's fidelity by jumping off of a cliff. And we might experience this temptation by saying that if God really cares for me, God will do what I want and what I need when I want and need it. 
And the third is really more of a bribe than a temptation. Jesus has promised all the power and glory of earth if he will just offer his allegiance and devotion to someone other than God. In each case, Jesus rejects the offer and lodges his identity, his future, and all that he is on God's character and trustworthiness. This is a story, and it's a theological meditation on the baptismal narrative, answering the implied question of, what is this heavenly declaration of, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased? Jesus' human identity at its core is always beloved by God, and being beloved is more precious than any of Satan's temptations. Now, those are temptations that all humans face, and I will admit we have another temptation that we face today. One of the unspoken temptations is for us to just dismiss this as, it's just a story. No one can prove it. The writers of Mark and Luke all tell it differently. John doesn't have it at all. Fables and folk tales and stories, they may have something to say to us, but let's in our righteous intellect not confuse them with the truth or put too much stock in them. When we want to dismiss this as just a story, we enter into a very slippery slope, and it becomes even more tempting then to say that all of this is a far-fetched story. And when I say all of it, I mean the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is adorned with solid moral teachings to love your neighbor and to help the widow and the orphan. Those are the things that we want to remind ourselves and we want to teach our children. But the fundamental claim of Christ's death and resurrection is what defines us, and it's yet also what defies our intellect. The gospel demands a leap of faith to accept as true and good, and that it alone gives life. On this first Sunday of Lent, we're facing a long road with Jesus over the next 40 days as he is betrayed, humiliated, and crucified. But honestly, we'd prefer to skip over these actual events of faith and race straight to the lilies and the alleluias of Easter. But the penitence and self-reflection of Lent puts up a mirror for us to ask, can we trust Jesus? And are we willing to buy in to this big grand story of faith and story of our lives. Now last weekend we buried a beloved child of this congregation and the grief continues to inhabit us. In the memorial garden as we prayed the commendation, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we would say those exact same words just a few days later on Ash Wednesday as we would trace a cross on someone's forehead. Now, no one ever wants to be at a funeral or to think about death and dying, but it is in doing so that we ponder Jesus, his belovedness, and our baptismal tether to him. After the memorial service, there was a large reception in the Culbertson room, and that's when a man sought me out to talk about how compelling the experience had been. He remarked he'd lived on the East Coast, and he remarked how much he had missed singing hymns and hearing a choir. Music moves him in ways that words always fail, and that's true for so many of us, and it was beautiful music that, that Saturday. Being there was a balm for a broken heart and his weary soul. This church welcomed and comforted him in ways beyond his expectation. 
and despite the crush of people in the Culbertson room, we had a very tender exchange just outside the kitchen. He'd been a churchgoer but slipped away, and he said, you know, it starts with a conflict one or two Sundays, and then it rolls into being gone for a month, and then maybe a season, and you're kind of embarrassed and you don't really want to go back, and you get distracted. He said church always reminded him, though, about being good and doing good. And after a bit, he looked at the floor, and then he looked up, and he said, you know, you put a lot of Jesus into that service. And I admitted it, and I smiled, and I said, yeah, that's what we do. And then his face softened, and he said, of course. Now is the time to talk about Jesus. He wasn't just a good man. He was God's son. Now, if there's ever a time or a place to hear about Jesus, it is in a memorial service. Otherwise, we might as well be in a park or an assembly hall. And during a memorial service, we confront the finality of our lives on earth, but also the belovedness that we share with Jesus that sustains us in our trials. And most of all, that is the promise that takes us up from the grave. From some mysterious way, we all come from dust, and to dust we will return and throughout we are always in God's care. We begin in Lent by telling the story of just how difficult it is to remain faithful to God. Jesus was tempted and so are we. We are tempted in all of those ways and even more so to just walk away from this precious gift of the gospel. But Jesus was God's beloved son and that is the person who is our savior. Now, after Tolstoy had heard all of those stories from the peasants, along with what he heard is the clarity of their faith, he stopped trying to intellectualize his way through religion and took up a life of simple piety. It was simple. He returned to worship. He received the sacraments. He prayed. He deliberately quieted the intense questioning that had characterized his previous life. And not that the questions ceased, but they were quelled by a greater movement within his heart, welling up passions and emotions and practices of faith. And this is what critics notice, distinguishing his later works of a faith that comes from the heart. In Lent, we begin by facing the temptations of life, or perhaps the temptation to put the whole season aside. And this is where I will preach, don't give in. Put your voice and your heart into the prayers of confession. Sing the hymns. Consider fasting for a day from technology or harsh words. Open up a little bit of time each day to be quiet. Maybe even pray. You could read a little scripture. That's not doctrine, that's not dogma, that is just simple faith that we practice. The story began for Jesus just as it begins for us. In our beloved, we are named. In our baptism, we are named as beloved. And the penitence and the confessions and the austerity of Lent are not to tell us how bad we are. It's just the opposite. The days of Lent are to shine a light on these so we can accept them and slough them off. And when we do, we are assured of divine grace. And we learn that inside, we are beloved. We learn through practice what God has done and will continue to do for us. Beloved is where we begin, and beloved is where we always remain. Amen.